You are listening to an episode of the Technology Consulting Series on Design Talk. Hello, I'm Wen Chao. And I'm Obama. Our guest today is Christina Phillips. Christina is a senior lecturer in business analytics at Liverpool John Morris University and has worked in applying science research, problem solving, and、uh, solution development for industry. Thank you for joining us, Christina. Can you、um, start by telling something about yourself? Well, thank you very much for that lovely introduction.、Um, so, I started my PhD as a mature student, having been invited to、um, apply for a knowledge transfer partnership in a company called Siemens Healthineers in Chamberis. So, this was through Bangor University, and、um, I had up to that point studied as a mathematician. Um, but not actually used it, and ended up、um, bringing up my young son whilst working as an artist, a gardener, and a teacher of physics.、Um, so really varied kind of background. But the, you know, mums do what mums have to do.、Um, and、uh, I started this KCP because they were finding it very difficult to find somebody who could actually do the work. In the advert for it, it said somebody who can do operations management and operations research. And I was like, well, I've heard of operations research, but what even is this operations management? Anyway, I, I started working in the company for a year and absolutely loved it because basically what I was being asked to do was to learn some different softwares, learn a bit of coding,、um, apply it to their various problems, help them to solve problems, help them to improve their processes, analyze certain aspects of their processes, and I got to do so many different things. It was wonderful. They really liked the output from the project and then invited me to do a PhD with them. Which was part funded by them and part funded by Bangor University. So that's how I ended up falling into business analytics. That sounds like quite an enriching experience. It was amazing.、Uh, I like ask: Is data science more about statistics, application development, or organizational change? In my experience, it was about organizational change more than anything. Um, but I think in order to be able to do that, you have to be pretty confident with your statistics, yeah, because you yourself will have to explain that and communicate that to people who have much less experience of the subject than you do. So that means you really need to know your stuff, because otherwise you can't explain it in simple terms.、Uh, where do you see the role of data analysts or scientists fitting in existing organisations? So a lot of organisations have、um, a tendency to stick them with the computer scientists in a separate department, and、um, although that might work with certain types of organisations where you have very large amounts of data which you want to do certain things with, and people can actually request to have some kind of data analytics done, I think in organisations where you have a high degree of complexity that doesn't really work because the The data analyst or the or the the data scientist actually needs to be able to communicate with people and find out what their needs are to actually open up those needs and at the same time as opening up those needs address all of these cultural levers that surround the the implications of the data science and the actual traction in use. So it's what Microsoft call sticky solutions. Solutions don't get traction if they're not sticky. How do you get a sticky solution? Well, one of the best ways to get a sticky solution is actually to make it with people as much as you can.、Um, now, obviously, there are constraints on that; they don't all understand statistics and everything else. But the more that you can use visualizations to actually talk with data, that helps a lot with actually speaking to people about what they can get.
And that then helps them to perhaps alter the way that they see their processes and the way they see themselves doing their process, because now they're going to implicate data science um, that then helps to embed it in the organization. So it really depends on the organization. I'm sorry, it's just like it's a typical statistics answer. It depends. <laughs> Thank you. That was that was really nice and interesting. Yeah. I'd like to ask what needs to happen to make problem solving possible or what are your go-to approaches when setting out to solve open-ended problems? Ah, so um, I'm actually a co-chair for something called the Problem Structuring Methods Special Interest Group of the Operational Research Society. And um, that's exactly what um, soft OR and problem structuring methods do. So sometimes you find, um, so let me backtrack a bit, one of the biggest areas in which soft OR and problem structuring have been used to um, really help the implication of harder things um, is simulation. So there's been quite a lot of work done in participative simulation. Um, and they frequently will use something called soft systems methodology um, to help them open out the cultural side of the organization. So start to understand people's needs, understand how people see their individual processes, how people see their data, where you can get data from. All of these kinds of things get opened out in the process of doing the soft systems methodology, which then allows them to build up a picture of what this system looks like for simulation, but also to know where the data can come from to build this simulation. So what you get in the end of it is a, a more robust simulation because people have actually been involved in the process. I've heard of a few instances where this process has been used, this participation, and they haven't actually ended up building a particularly sophisticated um, simulation model in the end, because actually more came out during the process of trying to build it and participating with people to build it than actually needed to happen in the eventual simulation. So they found the very process of doing it has been the thing that gave them the solution. Um, I did a participative simulation approach and we actually, during that, we used lots of visual analytics to help people to understand all of the different parameters that would be used in the model so that they could actually participate and say, yeah, that sounds about right. No, I wouldn't use that. That doesn't sound right to me. Oh, I thought the data said that. Oh, I thought the data said that. And we had that whole process. And part of that, I actually used, I used techniques like clustering, forecasting, um, distribution analysis, and I used lots of pictures and explanations. And in that way, we were able to build a model which actually truly spoke to people's processes. So um, I personally would go to problem structuring methods if I wanted the method to use. Um, I've developed something called human-centric analytics, which hopefully I will get published soon. And that will be going under the banner of, um, of problem structuring methods. I believe design thinking has got a lot of traction as well. I think that's really got a lot of potential to be used, but we need to think hard about how we're using it within systems of analytics and data science. So can you talk about the different hats that analytics professionals need to wear? Yeah, I actually was hoping at some point to do a piece of research with a friend from Bangor University. Um, we, we still haven't been able to move forward on um, because I said that one of the problems I think analysts has is they have to be a leader without being recognized as a leader. So they have to lead the project. They have to lead the workshops. They have to... Um, lead the data as well. I mean, I had real problems in the organization I was working in because the IT manager did not want to get the data at the velocity that I wanted it. 
um, because it didn't fit with their current systems and it was difficult for him to do and he really wasn't keen um, and so we ended up at loggerheads I mean like you know so the data analyst who was getting them all this wonderful information that was helping them to improve their processes was at loggerheads with the IT manager who was like I've been here for 20 years I know what I'm doing I don't want some upstart coming in here and telling me how to do it they were like I don't want to tell you how to run IT systems I just want data at a better velocity <laughs> yeah but you you you, we think in a different way. So we have to translate what we do to other people. And it's not just people who um, don't know statistics. It can be people like the IT department who are very used to doing it their way. And you have to kind of go, well, actually, we need to do it this way. Talking to him, I needed to talk in terms of money, monetary value. This is saving us money. This has helped us save this much money so far. This can help us save this much more money. And in that way, I was actually able to get some traction. Um, when it came to people I was trying to communicate with, uh, visualizations, simple explanations, and making sure that they were well contextualized so they actually spoke to their knowledge and to their expertise. The other thing you've got to do is you've got to listen. You've really got to listen to what people are telling you and actually keep a diary. So these are qualitative techniques, but I think qualitative techniques are actually very, very important. You also need to realize that it's um, you need to triangulate your information just like you do with qualitative studies. So you need to think about, you know, have I got a recording of this workshop or have I got somebody else observing who can be a, a, an objective recorder of what's going on? Um, do I do I have people are people using stick notes or writing down what they think? Um, have we got some kind of process map or something that they're writing onto? Because all of that is collection of evidence. The other thing you need to do is actually keep some kind of um, personal reflection on what's going on, because you never know when you're going to need that to actually feed back like this project went like this. And I reflect on this, that we could have done this better or we could do this differently in future. So I think all of those things are actually quite important alongside the difficult techniques that we have to use as data science. And I actually heard someone who was a data scientist as part of a, a different company um, recommendation she made was um, Google is your friend, use Google, use YouTube. There's usually a solution that somebody's done already that might fit your problem, but the problem comes first, the solution comes next. First of all, you ask the right question, then you go find the solution. And then of course, there's all the different ways you've got to communicate in between that. So you do have to wear quite a lot of different hats. But that kind of makes it fun and interesting as well. Do you have any thoughts on becoming a better communicator? Ooh, oh, that's a hard one. How do you teach someone to communicate? Well, the first thing you've got to do is listen. Because if you listen to what people are telling you, then you're going to communicate in a language that they understand. The other one is thinking about the context. What context are you talking to them in? So if you produced, if I produced a cumulative distribution function, I presume you all know what a CDF is. Yeah, cumulative distribution function. Sort of curve like that, where it shows the how often things occur. Yeah. so. I'm talking to people who never use statistics. The most nearest they get is they look at a time series from, from the forecast or something like that. When I simply explained what the CDF meant and I showed them what it looked like when they had a very spiky time series and when they had a very smooth time series, because those two things really hurt them in their company, they understood it very quickly because it was something that really spoke to them. So. Thinking about the context is really important. And that's actually something you get from design. Design always recommends that you think about the context. Yeah, um, that will help you to communicate with people better if you think about their context and what they can relate to. 
also understanding that when it comes to their process, you're not the expert, they are. So you have to really listen to what they're saying and take their expertise and, and listen to their expertise. And that way you'll create solutions that are better for them, but you'll also be able to communicate with them better. Um, I really like the fact, uh, you know, how, how you explained that leaders uh, need to lead without being recognized. And you also talked about translating and listening as important skill sets. Uh, but I also want to understand how we can handle politics uh, of being a consultant. Yes, yes. So I do recommend reading. There's work by Michael Jackson on systems and systems thinking, um, where he talks about the um, the different politics involved in um, in doing it's it's in doing it's in observing systems that he's looking at it but often that's what we're doing isn't it we actually are observing a system in order to be able to say well what solutions are going to fit in this system what questions do we need to ask based on this messy system um so his work is very good the other one that's very good and that i do recommend is soft systems methodology again because um soft systems methodology yes it's a it's a piece by piece methodology but methodology remember is not necessarily methods there are many different methods in soft systems methodology the methodology itself is an approach and that approach says everybody's opinion is valid and we need to listen to what everybody says we need to open up people's worldviews um, but we also need to look at the underlying politics and the power dynamics of the situation now whether you do that explicitly or you just do that for yourself is two different things but um, the nice thing about soft systems methodology is it does to some extent guide you in how you could think about that. So it gives you some tips on how you could think about that. So it's Peter Checkland. Uh, he wrote a particularly good paper when he reviewed soft systems methodology at 20 years, which was in 2001, I think. So that's the paper I would recommend or books. There's, there's some good books on it as well. But um, I think that's very practical. And if you look at it from, I think it's called the system one and system two. If you use it as system one, then you actually use methodology complete or the different methodologies completely. You do things like rich pictures and stuff like that. And you actually work with people using the methodology. But of course, that requires you to teach them the methodology, which sometimes in itself can be quite onerous and doesn't necessarily work. But the system two point of view, it's you that's using soft systems methodology, but you're not necessarily letting people know that you're doing it. And that means you will sit there and think about what's the politics of this situation? Who is the power holder here? What are the power dynamics of this situation? And once you start thinking about that, you can then start thinking about, well, how can I get the right people in the room? If I do it this way and have lots of people or everyone in the room, maybe I should have some other sessions where I have just two people together or just me and someone else. So I can have that opportunity. Quite often, it's a good idea to elicit people's thoughts on their own, as well as eliciting their thoughts in a group. Because sometimes you get something different when you're on your own to when you're in a group. And that's quite often a good way for opening the can of worms that is the politics underlying these things. <laughs> there is a difficult one. Sorry, I'll just, just add to this. There is a difficult one, which is sometimes what we do threatens people's jobs. And that is a very difficult situation, trying to persuade people that, you know, there's no need to worry. We don't have the power to say that. There's some line manager somewhere. There's some boss somewhere who has the power to say that. And most data, most successful data projects do need to be led from the top. They do need to have a champion coming in who's come from the top, who's backing it all the way, and who also can reassure staff, you know, don't worry, because you'll just be repurposed 
or we'll just have you doing something else. We won't make anybody redundant. If people leave, we've got the efficiencies. We don't need to worry about it. That sort of thing. Yeah. And I also like to ask, what ethical concerns do consultants may encounter? Yeah, that goes very well with that one, doesn't it? <laughs> so obviously, there's the the if you are holding workshops and face to face sessions, you really need to think about the ethics involved. And if you're doing research, I think you're on master's programs, aren't you? You will know about ethics forms and considerations you need to take account of when you're dealing with ethics. Personally, I always keep that in the back of my mind. So I, I've always had, you know, I know that I have to talk to participants about what we're doing with their data, how it's going to be stored, how long I'm going to store it for, all of that kind of stuff.、Um, you obviously have to think about GDPR.、Um, I would also say that there is the ethics of, you know, the power. The, the person who has the power in the room will can、um, subvert the conversation, can what we call instrumentalize the whole project. You don't necessarily want that to happen, and you don't necessarily want them to be able to use what you're developing for their own means.、Um, so you have to be aware of that. So actually, knowing who those players are, knowing what that landscape looks like, is really important before you go in there. Keeping that diary is very important. So if you do end up getting into hot water at any point because you've got that diary, that's going to back you up. Yeah. So that's quite important from your point of view. But also, if anything occurs in the future,、um, the, there's also the ethics of have you got a diverse representation in that room? You know, because if you don't have a diverse representation in that room, you may have problems in the future.、Um, your data, when you're getting data, I mean. As you know, if you train on data which is biased, you're going to get a biased output. So you should always be aware of where your data came from and whether that data has the diversity or it, or if that data has an underlying bias in it in the first place. I, I really like the fact that you know how you spoke about、uh, addressing the existing biases that might exist in the data and how we can tackle them.、Um, so、uh, that brings me to the next question: Is failure an option? In in this field of work, do you know what? You can't not fail. It's going to happen. <laughs> It's just going to happen. I hate to say it, but it will.、Um, uh, so I frequently would spend days and days and days working on something, getting it just right, and then take it to somebody and they go, "Yeah, that's nice, but it's not going to do what I need." And it's the most disappointing thing ever when you spend ages working on something and they've no idea how hard it is what you're doing. No idea.、Um, So they they seem to think it should have taken you five minutes because obviously you've done it really well and your end product is beautiful and slick. So they think it took you five minutes because it looks like it took five minutes.、Um, so I I found managing expectations was quite important.、Um, actually showing people examples of things that you might be able to make before you kind of did it was was one that helped there with the simulations certainly,、um, and being very patient. So when somebody says no, that's not going to work for me, you just have to go. Okay, let's try it again. How would it work for you? What would you like to see that would make it work for you? And then go back to it. I think there is a problem though in that some companies do seem to expect their data scientists to not make mistakes and to be perfect and to create amazing things just like that without necessarily having the leadership from the top or. The、um, integration into the organisation that they need, and I would be wary of employers like that. Be careful. Right.、Um, I just have one more question. You spoke about design thinking in the very beginning.、Um, can you just tell us or elaborate a little where it will be important to go ahead with design thinking? So design thinking is wonderful for giving everybody the opportunity to ideate. 
and so you you're you're wanting to create solutions so you may not have the first clue about what it is that they think they're going to end up seeing or that they would like to see and so something like design thinking gives you that opportunity to get everyone together and start thinking about what kind of solutions they might want and if you've got a place where say you've got a big cultural difference between the people who are working with the data and the people who need to work with the data. Bringing those people together and getting them to ideate as a team will really help to break down the barriers that are between them. Because often you'll find that the, the people who are need to use the data are very disconnected and therefore think that these data people can produce wonderful things for them and produce them really quickly. And why can't they give me this? And why can't they give me that? They don't know what constraints the data people are working under. It's only when you bring them together and you ask them to ideate together that they start to see each other's point of view. And the design thinking can be very, very useful from that point of view. It's also, if you think about it, it's mainly used in industry to actually help to develop products. And in some ways, when you create that analytical artifact, you're almost creating a product, aren't you? So actually bringing everybody together to try to create that product is a good way of doing it. Well, we'll wrap up here. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and experience today. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening. The music is Impulse by Ben Prunty from his album Chromatic T-Rex and used with his permission.